0: been in a series for the last uh, few weeks of summer, uh, just talking about Jesus. We've been talking about uh, who Jesus is, what he does, what he has for our lives, his character, his personality, uh, his impact. And uh, this is the, the, fifth, the fifth Sunday that we've been in this subject of, uh, we've just titled it Just Jesus. And I love the words of Paul. Uh, it's kind of being our theme verse for this moment, um, for this series. And it says this, you'll remember friends that when I first came to you, I didn't try to impress you with polished speeches and the latest philosophy. I deliberately kept it plain and simple. First Jesus and who he is, then Jesus and what he did, Jesus crucified. And how many of you know that um, if the Apostle Paul can start out a letter and say, hey listen, I could come to you with all the philosophies and all the intellect and all these new ways of thinking and doing things, but I'm gonna keep it simple for you. I know he could have done that. He was a, a brain of a man, right? He had lots of knowledge, lots of wisdom, lots of insight. Uh, very intellectual, but at the end of the day He recognized what all of us have to recognize That following Jesus is pretty simple It's who he is and what he did And it changes everything about who we are When we come to that realization That he He made a way for us to know God He made a way for us to live forgiven Of our sins, to be free in him And so we've been trying to keep things Real, real simple um, Last week if you joined us, we had one service And a bunch of us were at family camp If you went to family camp, say, what, what? All right, if you, if, you, if you were here, instead of at family camp, say whoop whoop. whoop whoop. All right, see, so okay, you guys, it was a good solid service last Sunday. How many of you guys were glad we had service here? Come on, yeah. that was exciting, and um, we are, if, even if you did not get to go to family camp with us, you are still a part of the family. How many of you agree with that, right? Yeah. Okay, I think that's a good rule right there. All right, we had a great time, and there's always next year. Um, this morning, we're talking about Jesus, the Lamb, the Lamb of God. And uh, it's one of these subjects that comes up again and again and again in Scripture, that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In fact, that's what John the Baptist said when he saw Jesus coming towards him. In John 1.29, he said the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And that's actually a really loaded statement. It's loaded because this is John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin. And how many know it would take a lot to convince you that your cousin was the Lamb of God who takes away the <laughs> sin of the world. I don't even know your cousin, and I know <laughs> that if your cousin came to you, it would take a lot for you to legitimately have that statement in, in, your, in your heart and believe it. So John the Baptist, here we have a firsthand witness, uh, a man who is with Jesus, who, who grew up with Jesus, looking at Jesus as a grown man saying, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's a loaded statement because it has so much to do with the rich history of what it meant to be an Israelite, what it meant to be part of this nation that got this family that became a nation that God called out to be different than every other nation on the earth. He called them out and he said, I want you to be different. I want you to be a nation of priests, a nation who will lead the nations of the world to me to worship me, to know me, to understand how I want to engage in this world. Not that you'd be an exclusive group, but that you would be a witness to a watching and waiting world, to a world that's seeking. In fact, the lamb, that phrase, the lamb, the lamb of God, occurs 104 times throughout scripture. Um, the majority of, over 50% of the times that the lamb is occurs is in the first five books of the Bible. What's referred to as the Torah, it's the law. It's where the whole setup for how God is going to interact with his people Israel and bring the Messiah through them is revealed in those first five books. So 50% of the references to the lamb occur in the first five books. 25% of those references occur in the book of Revelation. So between the first five books and the last book of the Bible, you have 75% of the occurrences of the lamb. It's like the Bible begins with the lamb and the Bible ends with the lamb. This was a big deal. Jesus as the Lamb of God. It has tremendous significance. In fact, we've talked about Jesus as our teacher. We talked about Jesus the good shepherd. We talked about Jesus the friend. He's our best friend. We talked about Jesus the miracle worker. He works miracles in our life. But Jesus the Lamb of God has a special significance to the Israelites and has a special significance to you and I. And I want to just spend the next few moments that we have together focusing on this. You can't talk about the lamb without going to the book of Exodus and the story of the 10 plagues and the people coming out of 400 years of slavery in Egypt. 400 years, I mean, we, we have a hard time computing how long that is for a people to be in slavery. They are enslaved by the Egyptians for 400 years and God calls Moses to interact with Pharaoh and provide a way for the people to go and worship God in the wilderness. And the context of doing this Pharaoh will not let the people go, right? How many of you have seen the Ten Commandments? Charlton Heston, let my people go. Okay, um, that's my best impression. But if you grew up seeing that movie, you know, um, I, I could watch two movies growing up, the Left Behind series. I grew up in a Christian home, homeschooled most of my life. I know, surprise, right? You guys are like, Man, you're just so relevant. I don't know how you were homeschooled. No, just stick around for a while. You'll You'll... You'll see the homeschool in me. Um, I was not, not that there's anything wrong with homeschooling. I mean, we we are homeschooling. Come on, give it up for the homeschoolers. Yeah, let's okay. We got a few. All right, uh, my wife and I are homeschooling our children because it it works so well for me. Um, but I could watch the Ten Commandments and I could watch the Left Behind series. And so most of my childhood, I was terrified. Um, yeah, true true story. Gospel Bill too. How many of you grew up on Gospel Bill? Yes, you know what I'm talking about. Gospel Bill was a good one. Um, They need to get Gospel Bill on YouTube. I don't know if it's on there, but somebody needs to get those VHSs uploaded. Um, So that's what I grew up with. But we have this Ten Commandments story, or I'm sorry, the the Ten Plagues story, and the culmination of God releasing his people from the hand of Pharaoh, from the, the domineering, dominating power struggle of keeping God's people enslaved the culmination of that story is where we get Passover. And the last plague, the 10th plague, that finally Pharaoh relents and let God lets, God pe- let, lets God's people go, that final plague, the, the angel of death is coming. And the angel of death is going to take the firstborn of every household and they're going to die that evening <laughs> because Pharaoh won't let God's people go. And it's this 10th plague that, God gives instruction to the Israelites of how they are going to not be a part of their first child dying in their home. And this instruction was that they would take a lamb and they would slaughter that lamb as a sacrifice to the Lord and they would put the blood of that lamb on their doorposts and the angel of death would pass over their household. And that that celebration of Passover and the Israelites coming out is the longest-standing religious holiday in human history. In fact, how many of you have been to a Seder, or you've had a Jewish family and friends who've walked you through a Passover meal? There's great significance. There's all these different elements of the Passover, and it's a moment for us to remember how God delivered his people out of the hand of Pharaoh, out of the domination of being enslaved. This idea of the Passover, it, it carries throughout Scripture in this sacrificial system of sacrificing a lamb before the Lord and watching that la- the blood of that lamb cover the sins. It, it, became, become a, it becomes a pivotal part of the Israel way of worship, how they approached God. In 1 Corinthians 5-7, New Testament passage, for Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. It's, it's important that we recognize that Jesus is the fulfillment of, of what began at Passover thousands of years before. That this blood that we put on our doorpost that saved us from the firstborn dying is the same blood that now Jesus has spilled that saves us from our own sin, that saves us from the the condemnation that we were all born into, which is sin and eternity of separation from God. So there's several things I want to talk to you about when it comes to the lamb. The first thing is that the lamb was perfect. The lamb was perfect. Look at Exodus 12, 5. The animals you choose, they must be year-old males without defect, without defect. And you may take them from the sheep or the goats. 1 Peter 1, 18 through 19 says this. You were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or without defect. See, the, the imperfect can only be redeemed by the perfect, The reason Jesus had to be sinless and pure and without defect while he walked on this earth is because he had to redeem us from everything that we were born into. And if he was just like us in that sense, he'd have no capacity to redeem us because that which redeems has to be different than that which it is redeeming. And that's what Jesus comes to do. He comes to live a perfect life to redeem us from sin and death. And you and I, we need a perfect savior, don't we? We need a perfect Savior. And so if you ever get confused if like, well, maybe Jesus wasn't as great as as Scripture claims, you need to know that that will lead you down a path where his blood does not cover our sins. He had to be a perfect, sinless Savior. In fact, a lot of us, we live in like a 51% good enough kingdom. I don't know if you've ever thought this through, but there's a lot of people that are just, just, view Christianity and view their walk with God. It's like, as long as my good outweighs my bad, then the big guy upstairs and I were okay. And I don't know if you've ever been to a funeral um, like this, but where, you know, most of the time, if anybody has any kind of decency, nobody says anything negative about a person on their funeral, right? Even though sometimes we know the guy that died is a dirtbag, right? Okay, have you ever been to a funeral where you're sitting there and, and, and nobody's saying anything negative, it's all good, but it's like, you're making him sound way better than he actually was. Because every inside of us, intuitively, we kinda get this sense that like they they were bad, yeah. But I'm not gonna say that they were bad and, and they're probably just they were probably good enough to get to heaven. And sometimes we have to go home and we have to repent because it's just like that I, I didn't want to speak the truth. Now, don't be rude, okay? The next funeral you're at, don't don't necessarily speak the truth, okay? It is a moment to kind of maybe hold your tongue if the person that you're eulogizing is not that great of an individual it might be a moment to hold your tongue but how many know there's this idea inside of us that it's like if we're just good enough then that's that's gonna be okay and maybe you've talked to people who aren't following Jesus and they'll say that to you right well I'm a good person I'm good enough and yet that's not the requirement for heaven right the requirement for heaven the requirement for being a part of the kingdom is, is actually perfection and none of us can attain to perfection which is what makes Jesus so good. It's what makes the gospel so compelling, is that because we couldn't live perfect and because good enough is not the standard, we need a perfect savior to bridge that gap, to bridge that gap between who we are, what we naturally fall into sin, and the fact that God has called us to a perfect and holy standard that we can never measure up to. This is how good Jesus is. However, God's requirement is perfection, which is only found in Jesus. Jesus qualifies as our lamb because he's the only one who ever lived life perfectly. In fact, Hebrews and Romans refers to Jesus as the second Adam. Have you ever heard that reference, the second Adam? Because he did what the first Adam couldn't do by living a perfect life, that while Adam fell into sin, Jesus comes and he becomes the second Adam that makes a way for all of us to enter into the kingdom of God. Hebrews 4.15 says this, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every aspect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin, yet without sin. So he's tempted, but he doesn't sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, everybody say "in in him, we might become the righteousness of God. That phrase, in him, is so important. In fact, Paul goes on to say, we are hidden in Christ. And again and again, you can find these kinds of references that that part of us becoming Christian is to find our identity in Christ and Christ alone. In fact, I'd say that the majority of the Christian life is just learning to see ourselves the way that God saw us the moment we gave our heart to him. The moment that we repented and started walking towards him, God began to look at us in a different way. He saw us as sinless. He saw us as Jesus. He saw the record of his son applied to our lives. He saw us walking in perfect harmony, sinless perfection with him. And he sees us that way. And so as Christians, we look not to what we do and what we don't do. We don't look to our behavior. Man, if you're looking to your behavior for your identity, you're gonna mess up a lot. How many of you messed up on your way? Go ahead, raise your, no, I'm just kidding. But are you wet, messed up on your way to church this morning. You didn't measure up. You weren't perfect this week. You weren't sinless this week. If you look to your behavior for your identity, you're always gonna miss the mark, right? You're always gonna be left wanting. You're always gonna be left feeling like, ah, I'm not quite enough. I don't quite measure up. I don't quite have what it takes. But if you look to Jesus and the finished work of the on the cross, the finished work as as he rose from the dead, his blood that covers sin, if you look to what he says about you, you will find that your identity is gonna become grounded in something that is bigger than you. I think this is why Jesus constantly compels us to fall in love with him and stay in relationship with him so that we can stay thankful for his salvation for us. King David said, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. That leaves us with this idea that salvation can kind of become common over time. That the longer we're with God, the more common our salvation can feel to our own experience. But you need to know this, if you have given your heart to Jesus and you've put your trust in him, what you have is not common. You are a supernatural person and you're walking and living in a way that the world around you is not walking and living in and you have something to say. It doesn't make you better than anybody, but it makes you. It gives you a message that others don't have that they need to hear because you've been redeemed, you've been set free, you've been restored to who? God has called you to be. He made him who knew no sin to become sin for you and I. He became our sin in that moment. So stop looking to your behavior for identity and start looking to Jesus. I think this is why we struggle. Wouldn't it be nice when you gave your heart to the Lord if just all the desires of the flesh and the pride of life if all the greed and all the temptation and all the lust and all the desire for self-gratification, like, wouldn't it be nice if when you gave your heart to Jesus, all that just went away? You're just not, no more pride, no more fear, no more anxiety, no more grasping, no more control, no more, like, worry, no more sin. Like, it just all goes away. And how many of you have wondered, like, if I were God— I mean, this is what I think often. Like, if I were God, I'd do it different. I would just have people give their heart to Jesus. They come down, and then their whole, everything just is instantaneously different. No more struggle. That's oftentimes not the way it works. Now, there are moments where people give their heart to Jesus, and there's an aspect of their character that immediately changes. That that just something different, Some that they lose their taste for drugs, or they lose their, appetite or their desire for alcohol or uh, any number of life controlling issues it just immediately goes away and those are dramatic moments and that's a powerful testimony if that's your testimony i say right on that's amazing but even those people would agree it wasn't every issue that it was like that it wasn't every desire it wasn't every sin it wasn't every thing that i struggled with that just instantaneously went away there were some things that were left to linger fears and insecurities and and lusts and different things that I I've had to learn to engage I've had to learn to do war and I've often found myself begging God God take this away why do I think this way it's what Paul says like why do I do the things that I don't want to do and don't do the things that I do want to do oh this body of death (laughs) that's what he says like I mean that's a pretty honest confession like this this body of death that I have it like it wants stuff that I don't want it desires things that I don't desire like I, I'm so frustrated because all I really want is to serve God and you ask you have to ask yourself God why did you leave us like this when we got saved why not just save us and save us fully like we're, we're just done with that stuff and we get to live fully surrendered to lives to you and I think it comes back to this gratitude for salvation and consistent growth in our love for Jesus Because when you recognize that there is nothing in you that can consistently choose God, except that the power of God is working in you, the love of God is working in you and shaping your heart to choose in the midst of temptation, in the midst of desires that feel so opposite to what God has for you, that you are still choosing to serve him. There is something that wells up in you and says, I love Jesus so much. He is so good. Like I keep coming back to needing Jesus. See, if you were perfect at the moment you got saved, I don't know that we would relish in our need for Jesus on a daily basis. We didn't wake up needing Jesus, needing the spotless lamb, needing Him his, his covering and his blood to save us in the same moment that we received him, however long ago it was, we need salvation again just today, just today. We woke up with a desperate need for our salvation 1 John 3:5 says this, you know that he appeared in order to take away sin, and in him there is no sin. 1 Peter 2:22, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. Listen, Jesus qualifies to take away our sin because he never sinned. There was something different about his nature. That though he was fully human and though he was fully God, there's something unique about his experience and his ability to say no. He's divine. He's God. He's our creator. He's our savior. The second thing we need to know about the lamb is that the lamb was sacrificed. Look at Exodus 12, 6. Take care of them, talking about the lambs, until the 14th day of the month. Now let's just stop right there. So for 14 days, here's what it's saying. If you're gonna put this Passover lamb's blood on your doorpost, for 14 days, bring that lamb into your home pet it and feed it let it sleep with your kids cuddle it and snuggle it do its nails I don't know do you know <laughs> like hang out with that lamb for 14 days I want you to care for this lamb when all the people of the community of Israel then all the people of the community of Israel must slaughter them at Twilight now graphic right it's his is his Bible not mine I just need you to know that all right and there's a reason we're going to talk about this. Lindsay and I, we put down our dog Daisy two weeks ago. Okay, and Daisy lived with us for 15 years, more than my 13-year-old oldest son. Right, he has been a, she has been a part of our family, and uh, we we hesitated, we lingered before we put her down. But when we finally made the decision that this was, it was not right to let her keep living because she was just doing really poorly. That's like 105 in dog years, um, I think. Uh, but I again, Bible college, uh, so. <laughs> don't do math real well. Um, but when we went in, when we finally went in to put her down, I, you have to know, I like I didn't videotape it because I just felt like I don't want to relive this moment. But our family like was broken. Like we all six of us went into the doctor's office, we sat with her, we made her comfortable. The doctor came in, hooked up the IV, get everything prepared. I mean, we're crying and, Here's here's the thing that happens with Daisy. It's like the moment she kind of sees what's going on, because we've talked about it before, she perks up, you know? And she's like, she starts to get perky again. And it's like, oh, but we know this is right. We know this is right. If you've ever had to put a dog down, you know what I'm talking about. So we just are sobbing, right? Just absolutely sobbing because this animal has been a part of our life, right? Has done some things with it. We have memories with this animal. We loved, we loved her. I think the reason that the Israelites were called to bring this animal in to their home to care for it for 14 days. It's because God wanted them to know that sin costs big. That there's a bigger price tag to sin than what we can see with our eyes. That, that sin has a, a cost and there is pain associated with the sacrifice to atone for that sin. Everyone must slaughter. Isaiah says that Jesus was marred beyond recognition. Again, the spotless lamb of God. We need to remember that even though he was our sacrifice, like, we can dress that up in our own minds, can't we? Listen, a a more appropriate word would be Jesus was slaughtered for you and I. He was slaughtered like a lamb for you and I. Isaiah says he was marred beyond recognition. You couldn't he was so bloody and he was so beaten, you couldn't even recognize him. You didn't know what he looked like. You didn't know, who, it, it, is the, it, he looks other than human. There's something going on. And so whenever you see that picture of like the blackberry thorns, the little tiny ones kind of resting nicely on his head and one drop of blood kind of dripping down his tree, cheek and everything else is beautiful and pristine, it's like, no. He, he was slaughtered for our sin. He was beaten for our iniquities. He was bruised for our transge- gr- transgressions. Jesus was brutally beaten for you and I. He didn't just take our place. He was absolutely slaughtered for you and me. And I have to imagine that that family who would, on Passover, then take that lamb, who'd become a household, part of their household, those kids, when they'd go with dad to sacrifice that lamb, I have to imagine that they left that moment realizing that This is a big deal. This is a big deal. Sin costs us something. Sin costs this lamb its life. Exodus 29, 38 through 39 says, This is what you are to offer on the altar regularly each day. Two lambs a year old offer one in the morning and the other at twilight. Now, this is interesting because it wasn't just Passover that they were offering the lambs to, but the Passover set up what's known as the sacrificial system. And so that every day in the temple, they're offering a lamb in the morning, a lamb at night, not to mention all the other sacrifices that are happening throughout the year. I mean, lots of animals are dying. Lots of animals are dying. I mean, over over hundreds of years, over decades, over thousands, centuries and millennium, lambs are dying and being offered to God. And then Hebrews, look at Hebrews 10, 10 through 11, and by that, and by that we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Everybody say once for all. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, and this is this next phrase needs to blow you away. Which can never take away sins. So think about this like transition I mean, for thousands of years, we're bringing our lambs, our families, every Passover is bringing their lamb and sacrificing it to God. And the writer of Hebrews just so flippantly said, you all know that didn't work, right? <laughs> That's what I'm saying. You, you all know that, that, did, that those, those animals didn't actually take away your sin, right? You get that, right? That's what he's saying. You know that that, that wasn't, that work. Was, that was just something you were doing that God asked you to do. You know that that didn't work, right? It's like, what, what, what is God saying? Why, why are we going now in the New Testament in a totally opposite direction. And here's how good God is to you and I. For thousands for hundreds of years, he's setting up the people of Israel in this sacrificial system that that sin requires blood. That sin requires sacrifice. That sin can cost you the the life of that which is close to you, that which your family has cared for you. It's a spiritual lesson that he's teaching the Israelites for hundreds of years because Jesus is coming, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. It is a foreshadow of what Jesus is going to do once and for all on the cross when he spills his blood for you and I. And people have often said, I've I've gotten in conversations with folks who, you know, are maybe on the fence or skeptical about their faith or different things like that. It's like, why didn't God just make it simpler? Have you ever had this thought? Like, why didn't God just show up and make it a lot more simple to believe? And I have to say, you know, when I see something like this, when I see him preparing his people and preparing the world to receive Jesus over hundreds of years, setting up this blood sacrifice system that would then receive Jesus as the full sacrifice for all of humanity I see a gracious God I see a kind God I see a God who's saying at the very beginning when he sacrificed to make Adam and Eve clothes that he has his own animal sacrifices to make them clothes out of animal skins it's set up at the very beginning I see a God who's saying I'm going to gently instruct them over hundreds of years so that by the time my son to comes to spill his blood once and for all they'll be like oh yeah that makes perfect sense. This is what Jesus has been doing all along. This is what God has been doing all along. I think it was gracious and kind. I see that all throughout scripture. God setting us up to when Jesus comes, being able to be like, yes, of course that's how he'd do it. Of course this makes sense. What a beautiful story. What a kind and just God that he would move us towards this. It's kind of like, have you ever done the paint by numbers on a, on a board, right? You notice that when you paint by numbers there's like a, a one is like yellow okay I'm, I'm not getting a lot of nods so maybe no okay par- apparently my childhood is very very different than everybody else's childhood we did a lot of strange stuff i didn't didn't learn a lot but had a lot of fun <laughs> and watched a lot of movies all right we know the paint by numbers where it's ye- number one is yellow number 27 is fuchsia number 34 is like teal and about 75 percent of the way through you, you look back and you start to see it come together, right? You can start to see, oh, this looks, yeah, I know, what it's, I know what's going to happen here. I know what it's going to look like. I know what the end is going to be. The same thing happens for me on Wheel of Fortune, right? How many of you have ever seen Wheel of Fortune where it's like they've got like 10 letters out of 15? You're like, it's, you know, just in time. Say it, man. It's right there. It's like the T's there, the J's there, the U's there, you know? It's like the phrase is there. Just guess it. And you you get frustrated. Okay, nobody else watches Wheel of Fortune either. It's okay to interact. It's okay to engage. I mean, feel free. Amens are okay too. I mean, you know, all of it's on the table, really. Um, but we see, and it's just about to finish. It's just about to wrap up, and you, you can see the finish of the puzzle. Man, if that's not like how God set you and I up to receive him. If that's not how God set his people up to receive him. Every Passover, you know that Jesus rolls into Israel or into Jerusalem the week of Passover. You know that Jesus is crucified on Passover? You know that some scholars believe that at 9 a.m. when Jesus is being crucified, that it's the same time that every family in Israel is also slicing the throats of their lambs that have been living with them for 14 days at the same moment? You know that when Jesus is put in the tomb at 3 p.m., that it's the same moment that the Israelites are putting their lambs into the oven at 3 p.m. on the day of Passover? I mean, there is, he's, he's got the whole thing set up so that by the time that Jesus gets here, it's like, John makes perfect the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That makes a that makes that statement a lot more powerful. Seeing how everybody in that moment would have been Jewish, understanding what John was saying, the implications of what John is saying. Behold, he is here. No more animal sacrifices once and for all. Hebrews says, we've been doing this every day, the high priest offering sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But the blood of Jesus, which has been foreshadowed now, that can take away your sins. That's a once and for all kind of sacrifice. Once and for all means I don't have to live in fear. You know, growing up, there was always this discussion like right around junior high or high school. Well, if you sin in the morning and you don't confess it in the afternoon, and you get in a car accident and die in the evening, like, I mean, you're up a creek, right? Like, I can remember, and I know this wasn't really taught, but it's just something I picked up. I can remember, like, screwing up real bad, and like, hey, I need a minute, (laughs) you know? Like, going up, and it wasn't even my, I didn't even get taught that way, but there's something in me was, like, kind of terrified. Like, kind of terrified that if I didn't make sure my confessions were keeping up with my sinning, you know, I would even confess, like, Lord, I want to confess of the sins I don't even remember. That I did, because I know there's so many, God. I want <laughs> to confess the things that I don't even know I'm sitting, you know, this like this fear grips in. Listen, once and for all, say it with me, once and for all. Here's the thing, this is great freedom, that the, re, the sacrifice that Jesus established for you and I, man, it is a relational sacrifice. He's not up there with a chalkboard like, well, okay, they send it to, they... God, they died at 2.15. There was no confession in there. I mean, I kind of heard something in their heart, but I don't really know if that counts as a confession. You know, bye. To hell you go, right? No, that's, that's not the God we serve. That's not, the, that's not him, right? He knows your heart. Jesus died once and for all that when you receive his grace, when you receive his forgiveness, it is a finished work. So he's not judging you on your behavior He's not condemning you because of your behavior. Stop condemning yourself because of your behavior. Start finding your identity in him. And then here's the magic that happens. It's spiritual and it's profound and it's powerful. That all of a sudden when you and I stop focusing on our behavior as a means to earn God's love and start focusing on his goodness as having received his love, all of a sudden our behavior begins to change. Because we're not trying to change our behavior. We're just receiving his love. And there's an empowerment that comes when I receive God's love for me despite my behavior that changes my identity. It changes who I am. So I'm not a terrified follower of God just waiting for him to whack me. I'm actually a son who says man I'm in relationship with God I can come boldly to the throne of grace there's no sin that I've committed that Jesus himself wasn't tempted to commit but he lived perfect and he became my sinless spotless savior and he's the only way to the father I'm gonna come boldly to him God I'm messing up in this area Lord I thank you that you can fix me Lord sin is a big deal and I thank you that there's forgiveness for my sin I thank you my sin does not define me you define me when I gave my heart to you and you call me son you call me daughter I am who you've made me to be in Jesus name right that changes everything everything. That's a relationship, isn't it? That's a real relationship. That's not a terrified bug waiting to be crushed by an almighty God. Thousands of years of sacrifices to simply foreshadow and prepare us to receive the Lamb of God. Now, if you're like me, the first thing you thought is, man, that's a lot of lambs. (laughs) That's a lot of lambs simply to paint a picture. It's like, yeah, it is. He has been telling this story to humanity since the very beginning the third thing I want us to know is that the lamb was shared. Look at Exodus 12.4. It says, if any household is too small, and this is, again, as Passover, they're getting ready to, to flee Egypt and to go into the promised land to worship God. You're going to kill a lamb. You're going to put the blood over the doorpost. You're going to cook that lamb. And he says, if any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their, ne- e- their nearest neighbor. Here's a very powerful statement that happens all the way at the very beginning at the first Passover. If your lamb is too big for you guys to handle, you gotta consume the whole thing. So you're gonna have to share. How many you know God is is too big for you to keep him a secret? (laughs) He is too big for your family. If If you know God, congratulations. You need to start sharing the lamb with the people around you. It's not just for you. The, the Passover was never to be meant to be celebrated alone. It's meant to be celebrated in community, in context, and everybody eats the Passover meal together. The entire lamb had to be eaten. And I could just imagine that night before they, they leave out of Israel, there's just people are going around like, we only have four people in our family, and that's a, that's a lot of lamb. That's a big lamb. And every household has to do this. like, hey, guys, we come on over. We got we to gotta eat this lamb. You know, we're not going to have enough mouths. We got, we got more lamb than we have mouths. Come on over. They're going into the neighborhoods. Share the lamb. As long as there is lamb, we must share. 2 Corinthians 5.19 says this, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Listen, you and I, we've been entrusted with the message of the lamb. We've been entrusted with the gospel of good news that the lamb has come, that his sacrifices is once for all for everyone, that it's available and open and we simply must receive him. I love this idea. Don't leave any lamb leftovers. <laughs> Share it all. Share it all till it's all gone. Think about our church and other churches like it. And some people would say, well, you know, that church is too big or that church is too small. Think about that. Listen listen to the phrase. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor. I wonder if this, if if everybody in America gave their heart to Jesus, you know, there wouldn't be enough churches in the nation to disciple everyone who came to know the Lord. You know, I would say, like, we're too small. We're too small because there's people who don't know Jesus. I'm going to say this too. Bayside is too small because there's people who don't know Jesus. So when you start comparing numbers and sizes, just remember there's a world who doesn't know Jesus. Every church is too small because there's a world that doesn't know Jesus. Until, there's, until there's, every person has known Jesus, loves Jesus, is honoring Jesus and growing in Jesus, it's too small. This house is too small, that house is too small, everywhere is too small, we gotta share the lamb. We gotta get everyone to know who Jesus is. And so don't think in terms of those numbers. Don't think in terms of what's too small and what's too big, because I gotta tell you, there is a world that is looking for answers right now. And don't be so small in your own mind that you wouldn't take the risk to share the lamb. Man, share the lamb with everyone you can. Don't let any of it go unconsumed. So three things I think we have as opportunities, and worship team, I'll have you come on up. The first is this, 1 Corinthians 4.4 says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The first thing is this, pray. I think we need to pray because I think a lot of people's eyes have been blinded. We sometimes think that people just need to hear the gospel in the right way, That's it's an intellectual thing or it's a cognitive thing. And those are, those are real. I mean, there's people that love to study at that level and that's wonderful. But how many know there is an enemy who is blinding the eyes of people from the truth of who God is? It's interesting that this happens on Passover and this has been celebrated now for thousands of years by the Jewish people. And you wonder if like, go out and invite others to come in you wonder if that's not what god intends for this meal to represent for them that he called them as a nation of priests to share the gospel with the world around them to share who god was and what god was up to with the world around them so that means that everywhere that they would go when they celebrated passover hey we got to finish this so now we're not inviting you know just our jewish neighbors we're inviting the midianites and the hittites and the jebusites and the amorites and the spaniards and the germans and the you know you can travel it all throughout history wherever the jews went they were as they in, in participate in this meal it was an invitation to the world around them to come and join them in this meal to come there's no distinction on what house what kind of household maybe they inv- invited their egyptian neighbors and they were witness to their egyptian neighbors in that moment god has spread a table for all of us to invite the people around us to join in in this meal with him we need to pray for the unbelievers in our life and stop thinking of people who are far from god as those who just don't have the right information let's start thinking of those who have been blinded by the enemy and they need their eyes open and it'll change how we pray for them won't it it'll change because they got open their eyes lord i love this person God, I know you have a plan for them. Lord, I thank you that in your time, their eyes will be open to who you are and what you have for them. The second thing is that we can invite. Romans 10, 13 through 14 says this, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, but who can ask them to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? How many of you know that's that's really important to our understanding of how this whole salvation thing works? If we're just sitting back and waiting and just trusting that whoever's supposed to know God is gonna know God, then we will miss out on the opportunity that God's given us to share the gospel with the world around us, to actually invite people to come into the kingdom of God, that, hey, come eat this lamb with me. You won't believe it. It's the best. He's the best. He's the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And the third thing is that we can participate Revelation 5:12 says this in a loud voice they sang worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise you know when we gather together when we worship man, we are participating we're participating in the lamb of God we're participating together and it, it has a powerful impact on each and every one of us when we worship together when we participate in the kingdom of god together when we when we do life with each other it has a powerful impact because we see that god is not just working in me that i'm not the only one with the struggle but that they've got a struggle and they've got a struggle and they're worshiping and they're seeking god for an answer and we hear their testimonies and we hear what god's doing in their life and it it changes how we respond to god and we start to see ourselves not just so much as individuals we start to see ourselves as part of god's kingdom on mission for what he's called us to do, and it changes how we view the world around us. It changes how we view ourselves. We begin to see ourselves as part of something that God is doing in the world, and we're simply saying, Yes, here I am, God. Here I am, send me. Would you stand?